0: Okay, I want to return to the What a Character series. I don't know whether you can remember that because they don't let me preach at night here very often and maybe after tonight I won't get to come back. But, uh, but we were doing a what a character series and we were looking at different characters from Scripture and what we can learn from them. And of course the whole thought of the series is, uh, is this, I guess, wrapped around the saying that we have in our society. Uh, when we look at someone maybe doing something a bit different, a bit unique, someone who stands out and we tend to say... What a character. Like, what a character. Yeah. Generally, even if they're doing crazy stuff, it's actually generally an affirming, positive kind of statement. When we say, what a character. If we're not affirming, we say, what an idiot. We say other things. But we say, what a character. We're like affirming something that we see. So I'm returning to that series. And tonight, I want to look at a guy called Thomas. Whoa. Thomas. And uh, his name actually means the twin and uh, it's repeated in scripture in both uh, Aramaic the twin it is the original word means the twin and then uh, some people in some portions we read tonight so you won't be confused he's actually also called Didemus and that actually means the twin in Greek so when you hear Thomas Didemus it's basically the twin the twin yeah. uh, and so we're going to look at Thomas but commonly of course Thomas is known as the doubter that's what we actually know Thomas from, which I think is really sad. Isn't it amazing in life, have you noticed, that sometimes, think about kids in the schoolyard, sometimes you only have to do something once to get a nickname. That sticks forever. Have you noticed that about our society? About That's sort of just how humans act. And I mean, if that's a cool nickname, that's cool. If it's not a cool nickname, it tends to label you. And it's so sad when we label people, because when we label people, it's generally on a very small portion of who they actually are. It's generally on a very small fragment of the whole picture. And I think that's the case with Thomas. So we're going to look at Thomas tonight. Now, without, a, without an uh, uh, argument, he had some doubts. He definitely had some doubts. That's how he ends up with this nickname, the Doubting Thomas. But the problem is we just focus on one part, as I said, of a far more complex picture and person. And we're so quick to label doubt failure in Christian circles. We, we label doubt failure and that should scare us because we all have doubt. And if doubt's failure, that means we're all failing. And if I look at Thomas's story and what we're going to get to tonight, it's the kind of story, I mean, it's, it's in the Gospels, it's in the life story recordings of Jesus. You know, this is his life story that are written by different authors. It's only John that mentions uh, Thomas. But to tell you the truth, if the Gospels are written so that people could believe, which is what John says about his writings, I have no idea why you would include a doubting Thomas. You know what I mean? Don't you want faith, people? People believed. Not people didn't. Uh, If you're trying to actually sell this thing. But that's what I love about Scripture. It's brutally honest and it doesn't hide the flaws. And of course, everything in Scripture, I don't believe anything is there by accident. It just doesn't get there by accident. It's there for a reason. There is a lesson in every story in Scripture. So we're going to look at the three places in John that... Thomas is mentioned, and just see what we can learn to broaden our perspective of Thomas, who is sometimes called the doubter. Are you good? Okay. This is what I've titled the message: Being human is not a sin. Being human is not a sin. You know, I think sometimes in church life, particularly in faith community, uh, we want we want to be pure. We want to be pleasing. We want to do the right thing. We want to be obedient and, and honor God and to honor God's word with our life. But sometimes the frustration of trying to get that right can make you almost despise your own humanity. Come on. Uh, you know, Jesus said, if, if, this, if your body's going to lead you into sin, cut it off. Who's ever felt like cutting something off? It's just kind of like, it would have to be easy. Who's ever felt like plucking their eyes out or whatever? Because it's like, ah, oh, the frustration of trying to get things right can drive us nuts. But I want to tell you, it's not a sin to be human. And so we're going to look at Thomas because I find him a very human person character let's look at Thomas a more complete picture and it starts in John 11 with the story of Lazarus of course Lazarus is one of Jesus's friends who's passed away and uh, and Jesus is is going to visit Beth and he's going to Lazarus's hometown and will eventually raise him from the dead but we pick up the story in in, in verse 11 and it says after he'd said this he went on to tell them our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought that he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And interestingly, it says, then Thomas, also known as, said to the rest of the disciples he says this strange thing let us also go that we may die with him let us die with him there's a little bit of background to this story like whenever you're reading scripture and you think that doesn't make a lot of sense that seems to come out of the blue you can guarantee there's more to the story than meets the eye and you do a little bit of digging around if you read the, ver- the passages around this you'll discover that Jesus had just left Judea this is really right near the end of his ministry raising Lazarus is the last miracle that he performs in the book of John before he goes to the cross and he has just left Judea because people have come and warned him that Herod is out to kill him so they've all just left Judea because Jesus had said my time's not it's not the right time yet and now Jesus is saying let's go back to Judea and obviously perform what would become an incredibly public miracle and so Thomas is just looking at it and you can see a little bit of strains of doubt in this you can see Thomas looking at the negative it's like uh, uh, okay Let's go die with him. But the thing that we miss is the courage in Thomas. You could say Thomas is a little bit negative about this, don't you think? But actually Thomas was being really realistic. What stands out to me is that Thomas was up for it. I tell you what, Thomas is so much more than a doubter. We call him the doubting Thomas and it's like you could call him Thomas the courageous. He's the one who puts his hand up and says, I'm with you, Jesus, to death which will come back into the story a little bit later. You can't question his courage. And as we understand courage, courage is not the absence of fear, but it's the ability to do what is right in spite of the fear. And we see that in Thomas. Thomas is more than a doubter. Then we go to the second story really quickly, and it's at the Last Supper. This is where Jesus sort of we would say instituted communion so that it's at the Passover feast and Jesus is talking about his coming death he begins to teach them that he would give his life for the world in John chapter 14 beginning at verse 1 he says do not let your hearts be troubled you believe in God believe also in me my father's house has many rooms and if that were not so what I have not told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I'll come back And take you to be with me that you also may be where I am and you know the way to the place where I'm going now at this point Jesus is talking in really in a sense ethereal terms to these guys they're like trying to get their head around Jesus has just told them that he's going to die well they don't want to believe that for a start and they actually didn't believe it right up until he was arrested in the garden they just did not believe it was going to happen and then uh, they're trying to get their heads around this other place and I love it Thomas is the one who speaks up once again Thomas said to him Lord we don't know where you're going so how can we know the way and Jesus says these immortal words he said I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me so Jesus is teaching on things to come he's teaching about his own death and what the background of this little story is the Passover feast was a celebration They've gone to great trouble to organise a supper. Jesus is at the head of the table. Everyone's probably laying back thinking, this is as good as it gets. And then Jesus starts to teach them things that is confusing and confounding them, things they don't want to hear, things that make them want to stick their fingers in their ears. Jesus begins to explain these things to them and it's only Thomas that actually ends up speaking up. So when he talks about, you know, we could say heaven, we could say maybe more the Hebrew concept is not so much heaven on a cloud somewhere far away, but Alam Habar, the age to come. Jesus is talking about you will have a place at the table in the kingdom that will come. And, uh, And Thomas is like, we have no idea how to get there. And Jesus sets him straight. Forget the detail of the story now and think about Thomas. Of all the people at the table, do you think he was the only one? Who had no idea? I guarantee. I mean Peter's still chopping people's ears off after this. So they obviously didn't get it. But it's Thomas who speaks up. And this is what I love about Thomas. We see Thomas in confusion and misunderstanding. But the desire to get it clear so he could follow. We can learn from Thomas. You don't need to understand everything. The faith journey can be confusing. I talked about vision in our morning services in our vision series and uh, the fact is vision always takes you somewhere you've never been so it's always going to take faith there's always going to be misunderstanding there's always going to be the, the unknown and that's exactly what these guys are experiencing Jesus is ushering in a kingdom that they have never seen the likes of they have no idea what's going on but it's Thomas who's saying please explain because I'd like to get there I don't want to just assume that I know it all, but he's humble enough in front of his mates to go, I just need a bit of clarity, God. (laughs) And this is so contrary to so much religious teaching that could be threatened by that. Don't ask God questions. You should know it all. And we see people do this. They put on some sort of a facade. Like they've got it all together. And especially religious people. Why, Why do Christians do that? Why do, they, why do we feel we have to do that? Like we think we have all the answers. Like we think we've got God so tied up in theology in a little square box with a bow wrapped around it. Like we know everything. And yet you see Thomas, who we would call a doubter, being absolutely humble in front of all his friends and saying, you know what, I haven't got a clue what you're talking about, Jesus. Would you just explain that last point a little bit clearer? And I tell you what, a lot of us would probably do a lot better. If we were willing to just humble ourselves and and admit that we actually don't have this all tied up with a neat bow. I don't really understand what God's doing a lot of the time. I'm just sort of walking by faith, going on this big scary journey and trusting Jesus with my next step. And that's exactly where you see Thomas. I love Thomas. Thomas is so much more than a doubter, don't you think? And then we get to the case in point. How you going there? You all right? We're two down, two down, one to go. Then we get to the case in point, where he actually, what what he gets labelled over, and, and this is actually the resurrection of Jesus Christ, post resurrection, and I uh, pick it up in John chapter twenty, and uh, Jesus has just appeared to a big group of them, big group of disciples after his resurrection, he's appeared to them, and they're like, wow, we believe, we believe. And then John picks up that. Now Thomas, also known as Didemus. I have no idea whether that's the correct pronunciation. I I used to always call it Didymus, And I thought, that's just too Australian. We need to Greekify it a bit. Didemus, that sounds far more Greek to me. Anyhow, I, I don't know. But there it is. There's Thomas. One of the 12, listen to it, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. This is incredible. Eh? Like he's the only one there who didn't witness it and he desires to see it too. And traditionally, the church has seen this as faithless. This is where he gets Thomas the doubter from. Traditionally, it's seen as he's faithless, which actually makes doubt failure. And the problem, again, for us is that doubt is common to human experience. As a matter of fact, if there was no doubt, there could be no faith. Think about it. If there wasn't the opportunity to doubt, what would belief be? If there wasn't the opportunity to do wrong, what would right be? We'd have no idea. And yet we've sort of demonised Thomas a bit over this, uh, which is crazy. But I want to pose the question tonight, what if it was something deeper? Mm. What if there was a deeper motive? Because faith is very personal. You know, when we heard those baptism testimonies, which were awesome, by the way, young people, when we heard those testimonies, what we heard was that people had found God for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even great kids, by the sound of it, who were taken to church by faithful family. Because yeah, yeah. that's a great thing to do. Yeah. But they still had to have a personal revelation. Yeah. And I wonder when we dig into Thomas, whether he's not so much a doubter as he is someone who's hungry. To have an encounter for himself is not prepared to go on secondhand information or hand-me-down faith. But he actually is going, I actually want to see this for myself. You guys got to see it. I didn't. And at the end of the day, what the mission would be, and I think this is why Jesus was happy to answer his prayer. What the mission would be is go out into a heathen world and be prepared to lay your life down. To be a witness to me. Thomas would have gone, to be a witness to what? (laughs) Everyone else saw, but I didn't have that same encounter. And so Thomas says this, he gets labelled for it. But let's have a look at the rest of the story in John 20, verse 26 through 28. It says, a week later, talking about Jesus, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace to you. Talk about freak you out, hey? I mean, he just comes through the walls like Casper the friendly ghost. I mean, that's probably a little bit too old for some of you. But Jesus through locked doors appears, boom. Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And, and we read that and, and somehow we read into it like it was a rebuke from Jesus. But if Jesus was unhappy with him, why on earth would he answer his prayer? His prayer was, I want to see it for myself. Yeah, on. And Jesus said, that is a prayer. <laughs> I'm happy to answer you want a first hand experience you want to have an encounter with God for yourself all you've got to do is desire it friend and that's exactly the same for 2000 years that's the experience of humanity we are broken we are weird we are wishy-washy we are full of doubt sometimes we're full of faith sometimes we're full of courage sometimes we're chickens That's human experience, but the one thing that's common is that God is happy to reveal himself to someone who's not prepared to just go on second-hand information, not just listen to what some kid told him in the schoolyard about the Bible, but actually wants to push in and find God for themselves. And Jesus is always happy to reveal himself to a hungry heart. So I think there's a lot more than doubter in Thomas. Come on, what a character. Thomas I'll die with him Lord I'm prepared to admit I don't know at all, please enlighten me and I want my own personal encounter that's what I'm hungry for and Jesus answers his prayer Jesus is happy to answer the question for him in a graphic physical way And Thomas teaches us that it's okay to have doubts about God that need answers. You know, it can be intimidating to feel like you're surrounded by people who have strong faith even in a place like this and we try and be as friendly as but I I know I know when I became a Christian at 21 years of age I know what it was like to go to church as a new believer who didn't know nothing who didn't I'd never read the bible I just believed in Jesus on the testimony of friends and I remember what it was like it seemed like everyone was in the know and I wasn't I was on the outer thankfully I was discipled well enough that I was encouraged just ask questions Just stay humble, Chris. Just walk with Jesus, Chris. Just be hungry for more of Jesus, Chris. And that was an absolute key. And that's exactly what we see in someone like Thomas. So I'm going to tie tie this off now real quick. And then we'll pray together. I love the mosaic nature of a life like Thomas. He shows us how labelling someone is so unkind... And disingenuous because we simply focus on only revealing part of what is actually a complex picture. Come on, every one of us has known a kid like that in the schoolyard. Maybe we've been that kid in the schoolyard. And someone's put a label on you for this much of your character, yet you know there's so much more to you than meets the eye. So, what happened to Thomas? We'll just finish with a bit of church tradition. So this isn't Bible, this is church tradition and, and it varies a little bit but this is maybe the most common thread of thought. The first thing is, and it reflects his character, he travelled outside the Roman Empire at 52 AD. You've got to understand, in 52 AD, as much as it was difficult to be under Rome, everywhere else was under warlords. The gospel spread through the first century because Roman peace at the edge of a sword that kept the the robbers off the highways the Greek language and common currency enabled travel throughout the world to to travel beyond the normal borders particularly of where you'd grown up within that Roman Empire was a scary thing indeed and he went to a place called India a, a really really dark and desperate nation Tradition says that he planted seven churches and in 72 AD he led a queen to faith in Christ and her son the prince and a couple of other members of the royal family and the king was so infuriated that he had his soldiers take him to a hill just outside of town, a town now called Chennai and they took him out to a hill and speared him there And he died a martyr 20 years later in 72 AD. But right through the last 2,000 years, thousands and thousands and thousands of Indian believers, hundreds of thousands, probably millions of Indian believers attribute their faith in Christ to a guy called Thomas that we sometimes have the audacity to call a doubter, a doubting Thomas. And I look at Thomas and I think he is a hard act to follow. Yeah. As I said, it's, it's a place outside uh, Chennai well, which, which uh, is called Mount Thomas where tradition says he was, he was killed. I visited it in 1990 when Chennai was still called Madras. I visited that spot. And Thomas, look at Thomas's life. He was willing to follow Jesus to his death. In John 11, he said, let's go die too. And eventually, he would. He was determined not to be left behind, even when he didn't understand where the journey was leading. He refused to accept a mere second-hand experience and was determined to touch Jesus himself. I think being like Thomas... Isn't such a bad thing. Isn't such a bad thing. What about you? Here's a, here's a couple of quick questions for us just to wrestle with the message. Am I quick to judge another person's merits on what is only a partial picture of their life? Am I quick to do that? It's not a bad question to ask ourselves. Am I quick to write myself off based on less than my whole character? The fact is, we know our own failures better than anyone. Sometimes we're our own worst critics. And man I think Jesus looked right past any doubt he saw in Thomas. All he saw was someone who needed a revelation. Where do you write yourself off on just because of something that you're intensely aware of that you've either got or you don't got? When there's a whole much, a bigger story to you, a far more complex story to you than that one thing that you feel disqualifies you. When I'm confused, do I seek clarity or do I just give up? And when I doubt, am I determined to experience Jesus for myself? Come Come on, let's just wrestle with that just for a moment. Won't we stand together, just stand together in these final moments of this service? We just close our eyes for a moment and uh, I'll let you think about it. The impact of, of Thomas's life on yours, reflecting on Thomas, what a character. So much more to him than meets the eye, so much more than the cliche or the label that's been given to him. as you think about the life of Thomas oh, where do you need courage to follow Jesus where's Jesus leading you that's, that requires courage what do you need clarity for what's, what's in your life and right in front of you right now that you, you just don't fully understand you want to follow but you just don't fully understand it's okay, it's okay <laughs> to ask God. It's okay to wrestle with him. Come on, God's happy to wrestle over our sin. We know we're wrong and he says, come let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be white as wool. God's more than reasonable. So if you're struggling with something, I encourage you, seek God for it. It's his joy to bring clarity. And, And just right now, Maybe you recognize, I need to encounter Christ. I need to encounter this Jesus that changed so many lives, not only in those days, but even testimonies we've heard tonight. You might be here and you go, I I need to experience Jesus for myself. Come on, friend, don't be content with secondhand experience don't be content with someone else's hand-me-downs of faith you can open your heart to Jesus Christ tonight and if you're hungry if that's what you you really desire if that's what you're open to then I've got faith that Jesus will reveal himself to you tonight